0: The reading today is taken from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 14, beginning to read at verse 1. John, chapter 14, beginning to read at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you... I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, You do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Ending at verse 14. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we
1: ask for your help as we turn now to contemplate your word. May you speak to us. May your voice be clear. May it be heard, and may we make the fitting response to what you would want us to hear and do. We ask and pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I wonder have any of you memories of childhood of doing this very foolish thing that I used to do. On occasion, I would take toys apart, really to see how they worked. And if you've ever done that like me, you may have found yourself also in the unfortunate position of having put it all back together again, and feeling rather proud of yourself, and then realizing you've got a little spring left, and uh, without that little spring, it never really works properly, and then these little springs go ping, and you've lost it, and flown across your bedroom, you don't know where it is. Or maybe that happened to you in school. It's bound to happen to some of you in school. You know, your your pen wasn't working terribly well. So you uh, took your pen apart and you stretched the spring a bit so that it's a bit more clicky. And while you're stretching the spring, the spring goes and it bounces off across the classroom into oblivion. Maybe your childhood wasn't as hapless as mine. But but hopefully you can picture such events unfolding. What I to think this morning of this really very familiar passage and use it to help us see that the spring that, that makes everything work, makes everything have sense and meaning. These words, these opening words of John 14 are familiar to us. We read them almost at every funeral service. They've provided great comfort and consolation to generations of people through times of trial and loss. <clears throat> but before we get to look at these particular verses, I want to think about the, the sort of hapless children who are meddling with the workings of the universe. and, and In a sense, they're, 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 they're in danger of losing this spring that, that makes things work properly. And, and you'll wonder, what on earth is he talking about? I'm talking about marriage. For some decades now, marriage as we know it has been under attack. Our government is trying to dismantle uh, this core institution in the fabric of society. Back in two thousand and four, when the government legislated for civil partnerships, that they give a guarantee that, that marriage in its traditional form would be protected. But apparently that warranty was a 10-year warranty because uh, in 2014, the first uh, same-sex marriages were conducted in England. And Now we know that here, they're trying to bring in that legislation in Northern Ireland. And we need to pray for those who have such responsibilities, people in positions of authority. We understand their job is extremely difficult. They need wisdom to carry it through. And we need to pray particularly for the protection Of marriage. Because there are people. Excuse me I have a frog in my throat this morning. People want to redefine marriage. And it simply cannot be done. Its definition has been written irreversibly. Since the very beginning of time. In the Garden of Eden. God made it clear. How things were meant to be. Jesus confirms this, Matthew 19, verse 5. He quotes Genesis 2, 24, saying, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We understand that the protection of marriage is so important because it's essential to a well-functioning society. But we understand also that marriage is more important than that because God has determined that it is a model to us of how everything is intended to be. We looked at this uh, maybe a year or so ago when we studied through the book of Ephesians. Paul is speaking there in Ephesians 5 of the responsibilities that husbands and wives have towards each other in marriage. And then in the middle of this practical teaching on married responsibilities, he, he goes off on this seeming tangent. There's Ephesians five thirty one thirty two. 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Familiar words again, Genesis two twenty four. And he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. You see, it's much more than just about marriage between husband and wife. It's about something greater. Because everything in time and eternity on heaven and on earth is pictured to us as a wedding. John the Apostle is exiled on the island of Patmos. And as he Inspired by the Spirit, looks ahead to the consummation of all things. God stirs him to write these words. Revelation nineteen six to 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he goes on to say that uh, the outcome of this consummated marriage is as follows, Revelation 21, 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. See, there's this great picture of a final wedding day. God will be with his people. And they will be with him forever. Now, when I conduct weddings, I'm required to say in the introductory words that marriage is appointed that there might be lifelong comfort and companionship between husband and wife. The primary purpose in marriage is that husband and wife would be together. It's not good, said God, for man to be alone. And God puts people into these relationships until they're separated by death. And the Bible makes it clear that God's great purpose for humanity is that we should be together forever with him and that not even death should separate that union. So again, back at the early chapters or the early books of the Bible, we see the people of Israel making their way out of their Egyptian captivity back to the land of promise. And on that journey, God was doing something very special among them. In those testing years that forged them into a nation, God was betrothing them to himself that they would be his bride. Now our our culture has changed, our our context has changed over, over more than three millennia. But even we can see hints of our wedding proposal in the words from Exodus 19. Exodus 19 verse 5 says, God speaks, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, And keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. Out of all the people in the world, God chose one nation as his treasured possession. That would be very clear, very obvious to the Jewish people of that age. They would understand that this was a call to covenant faithfulness, a call to enter into betrothal, and this was a covenant that they, over the generations, trampled on repeatedly. So God sends his prophets. They come with messages. They, they come with warnings, calling people back to faithfulness to God. Jeremiah 2, to he is commissioned, Jeremiah is commissioned with these words, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. How you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not so. Jeremiah, one of many who come to call people back into a right relationship that 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 models marriage. Indeed, if you know the, the prophecy of the book of Hosea, it's all about that t- topic. It's all about how God wants his people to understand how hurt he is by their lack of faithfulness to him. Now, I'm going to have to get out of this. Uh, theme of marriage in a moment or two just before we we do that think of the ministry of john the baptizer he comes to prepare the way for jesus he knows that his job is done he's about to step aside and allow jesus to take center stage and as a, a faithful witness to jesus he declares in john 3 28 29 he says you yourselves bear me witness that i said i'm not the christ But I have been sent before him. The one who who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Hopefully you can see without going on and on and on. The Bible has this ongoing message. Telling us, preparing us, saying to us, there's a great wedding day that is coming. And as we look at these verses in John 14, we've got to understand that they are, in a sense, the proposal for that day. Now, last Sunday morning, if you are with us, we were thinking of how Jesus was distressed. He began to contemplate what was yet to come, uh, the horror of the cross and uh, the the deep tragedy of Judas' betrayal. But now we find the troubled Jesus is the one who is acting as the comforter to the bewildered disciples. They're trying to process, come to terms with the word that he has given to them. Uh, They're going to be parted from him. He's going to leave them and, and that leaves them so distressed. And on that night, prior to Jesus facing the agony of the cross, he wants to provide a remedy for the heavy-hearted disciples. So how does he do this? How does he minister to them? Well, he gives them firstly a, a focus for their faith, a focus for their faith. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God Believe also in me. Or an alternate, equally worthy translation would be you trust in God, trust also in me. God came to his treasured possession in the wilderness. His people, and he he gave to them the terms of covenant, the, the Ten Commandments. And the first of those Ten Commandments was absolutely clear. You couldn't confuse it. You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. No thing, no one was to be set in any way alongside Yahweh, the God of Israel. And yet, Jesus comes to these men, raised all their lives on this truth, these monotheists, these people of one God, and he says to them, believe in God and believe in me. If you want hope and help for your times of trouble, you must set me as equal to God and place all your trust in me. Faith cannot exist in a vacuum. It must always have a subject. You can't just believe. You have to believe in something, in someone. And again, if you note back in your Bible, back into the previous chapter, and beware chapter breaks, they're not always helpful. But in chapter 3, we have Jesus' interaction with Peter. We considered this last Sunday. And Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward." And then comes Peter's pride boast, 36 to 38 of chapter 13. Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus said that the cure to troubled hearts is to believe in him as God. But Peter, he's not going to believe in Jesus. In, in a little while he, he's going to say, I don't even know this Jesus person that you're talking about. But saving and keeping faith is a, it's a ridiculous, it's, it's a passionate self-commitment of one to another. John Calvin said, faith is not a distant view but a, a warm embrace of Christ. Jesus, as the object of our faith, demands our wholehearted commitment. Clinging to him for dear life. Peter would distance himself from Jesus. He would he would uh, pretend he didn't know him. That's a dangerous thing to do. You put yourself in peril if you don't cling to Christ. Perhaps some of you have done some abseiling, uh, Walking down rock faces at great height. And the dangerous thing in abseiling is not to commit yourself to trust the rope. Not to place your whole weight on the rope. Not to lean back because you have to go perpendicular to the rock face. You have to hang on the rope and the rope won't. If you try to stand on your own feet, your feet can slip and you have a face-to-face encounter with the rock and that's not good. You have to lean back, trust the rope completely with all your weight. And Jesus said, if you don't lean completely on me, if you don't hope entirely in me, your feet will slip and you will fall. Let go of everything else, he says. Trust in me. I must be the focus for your faith. Jesus gives him a focus for faith. He gives him a promise of a place. Verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now because the Latin Vulgate, the uh, Latin translation of, of the, the Greek renders the word for dwelling place as mansione, then uh, the authorized version decided to use the mancha. But we must understand that these places that Jesus is going ahead to prepare for us are not independent, detached houses. Rather, that they're part of the Father's house. Perhaps the best way for us to think of it in a modern idiom would be as a luxury suite. Much more grand than a room. We get a luxury suite in the Father's house. And the words that Jesus here is speaking are the words that would have been spoken by a young man to his intended bride. He would come to her and he'd say, I want to be with you forever. But before I can make that happen, I need to go and prepare a place for us to live. I, I'm going to build a place part of my father's So I'm going to extend there. There's lots of room. And I'm going to establish myself and I will come back at the right time and gather you to be with me forever. That's the proposal. And then at the time of marriage, the groom would gather together all his friends and and they would travel through the village from the father's home and they would come and collect his bride and then there'd be a great parade as they made their way back to live happily ever after in that place prepared. And sometimes this idea of of our mansion in the sky or heavenly home can be a burden to Christians. They get a bit, a little bit, caught up on how many rooms it will have and how many square feet or whatever. And it's dangerous for us to think about heaven as a place. Much more important that we think of it as being with a person. Maybe some young couples. Maybe if you remember being young as a couple, you would say. You know, really, it doesn't matter where we live, as long as we're together. All I need to do is to be with you, and that will be enough for me. And that's what John tells us here. Jesus invites us to be with him. We read at the start of our service, John 17, 3. Jesus' prayer, this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, and uh, when the Bible words, uses the word knowing, it's, it's not just an intellectual understanding. It's a deep, passionate, intimate relation. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. This is eternal life. A, a deep and passionate, and intimate knowledge and relationship with Jesus. In one of his final songs, Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the rock group Queen, asked the question, Does anybody know what we are living for? And here's a man who had, in many ways, all the things that people desire in life. Fame and fortune. But in an interview just before his death in 1991, he admitted he was desperately lonely. He said this, You can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds. But it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need. A loving, ongoing relationship. The one thing we all need is a loving, ongoing relationship. And and we can gain the whole world and lose our souls if we don't have that intimate, forever relationship with Jesus that he came The supply. And finally we see here the humility of exclusivity. The humility of exclusivity. Verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now we live in an age, it's an age of so-called tolerance. Tolerant of everybody's views, perhaps except those that are evangelical Christian views. And here Jesus makes this claim to exclusivity. He declares every religion, every practice of faith in which he is not central, cannot lead people to a relationship with God. And lots of people balk at this idea of, of exclusivity. They, 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 they deem it to be arrogance. But we must see that the very opposite is true. Tom Wright explains. The truth, the life through which we know and find the way is Jesus himself. The Jesus Who washed the disciples' feet and told them to copy his example. The Jesus who was on his way to give his life as the shepherd for the sheep. Was that arrogant? Oh yes, sometimes the Christian church is a way of making the claims of Christ seem arrogant. We can pour scorn on others for their poor choices. But that's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He he desires people with no relationship through him. His exclusivity is a humble exclusivity. He he opens the way for us to come to the Father through his own self-giving, sacrificial death. So what is the application of this text for us this morning? Well, four brief things. Firstly, we do know this. Maybe some of you have experienced this. But a marriage proposal can be refused. A marriage proposal can be refused. I remember three brothers who lived together with their mother, farming very effectively up on a hillside near one of my former churches. And these three young men had very simple, ordinary lives, worked really hard, they had amassed a great deal of money, but they didn't have any social life. They came to church and that was it. And and one of the the, the three brothers decided he would ask a young woman from the congregation to marry him. And he went to the door in the appropriate way and he asked this lady, would she marry him? And she said no. And that was it. None of the three ever changed their uh, status ever again. lived their lives as bachelors. Marriage proposals can be Refuse love can be unrequited there's that terrible story I read earlier this week in in mark 's gospel in my my private devotions and it 's the story of how Jesus crosses with the disciples through the storm and he, he arrives at that uh, that Region that that's sort a of Roman uh, cultured region of Gadara, and he encounters this demon possessed man. He he drives out the demons, and they go into pigs, and the pigs drown themselves. You know the story, but it comes to that terrible conclusion. Mark five seventeen. The people of the region of Gadara came to Jesus, and they began to beg him to depart. They began to beg him to depart. Jesus came to them, he he showed his miraculous power. He revealed the truth of who he was and they said, go away. We don't want you here. The proposal can be rejected. And Jesus offers his amazing love to this world on the cross. Yes, love and commitment is always costly, but never more so than when Jesus hung on Calvary. But a costly gift can be refused. A marriage proposal can be refused. Could that be this morning? And a covenant of marriage can be rejected. It can be broken. Betrothed in the wilderness, many times Israel wandered away from the true God and sought after idols. And there are many people, many people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but truth is they live idolatrous lives. The truth is their heart is not given to Jesus. It's given to the things of this world. They don't worship the Creator. They worship the creation. And they find their delight, their confidence, their security in it. There's a covenant of marriage, but they have rejected it. And they have sought to be sustained in other ways. Could that be your heart this morning? And the covenant of marriage can also be reduced. There are people. There are people here this morning who once were on fire for Jesus. Who would have gone anywhere, done anything for Jesus. But now, for various reasons, the fire burns dimly. Their hearts are cool. They, they, they believe, but they believe just a little bit. Their trust is just a little. I remember talking to a man about his courtship of his wife. They're married. 50 plus years now but he said whenever they, they first started to go out together and they were walking along they would hold hands until they came to a street light and then they let go and then once the street light had passed and they're back in the dark again they held hands and there are people who live like that with Jesus when it's suitable when it's appropriate when, when things are quite easy and comfortable yes they'll hold to him but, but maybe in public maybe among certain friends that they, they distance themselves The commitment they have is reduced. It's a a low manageable level for them. And finally, the marriage proposal can be received. It can be received, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know what happens at the end of Genesis 3. God casts Adam and Eve out of the garden. They're not allowed to go to the place that was prepared for them. They're not allowed to go to the home that God had supplied to them. Their sinful choice had cost them dearly, and they were cast away from his presence. But now Jesus says the curse of sin will be redressed. In his self-giving love, there will be the way back to the Father. The way back to home. Those who, who believe in him will walk in that way and will know his presence and power in their lives. Have you received this gift of life everlasting? Do you walk in the way? Do you know that intimate, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, not just on a Sunday or not just when it suits, but every moment of every day, you depend on Him. You trust in Him. You make much of Him. May that be who we are and how we live to His glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you, from heaven you came to, to save us, to seek us, to make us your own. You came as part of your bride. To set us on a pathway that leads to heaven and to where we were always meant to be. Lord, may it be truth for us this day that we are yours. We belong to you. We choose no other. We set no thing, no other person alongside you. You are our all in all. Only Jesus. Thank you that you are faithful to us. Forgive us for our wanderings, our faithlessness. Strengthen us so that we would realize only day by day, moment by moment, fellowship with you is true living. Life is found in you and you alone. So Lord, thank you that you've loved us and sought us.
0: May we respond in obedient love. We pray to your glory. Amen.